Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. For Life Now, episode 88. Dave, we are doing this sort of off schedule. Not that we have any hard, fast schedule. I've always said that we should try to do more podcasts. So when we don't do only one a month, it's off schedule. But you're right. This is not an emergency podcast, but it is a no. uh, off schedule would be a a good way of putting it. It'd be there's something worth talking about, so let's go ahead and exactly. do one sooner than we normally would. And you're right, normally we just do it once a month, but gosh, we've gotten off to a pretty rough start in the stock market. And we were just talking before we started recording, who knows what the market will be doing by the time you listen to this. Because, you know, as most of our listeners know, you know, we record this, we've got to submit it to our compliance people, they listen to it, then we post it. Sometimes it'd be three or four days before you're hearing this. So we are recording this here on Tuesday, January the 25th. And yesterday, wow, that was an interesting day for the stock market. At one point, the Dow Jones was down a thousand points. And by the end of the day, so that was Percentage-wise, what was that? Something like four percent or so down. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, it was up a hundred points, or I don't know exactly what it was. It, it was all over the place, so it was <laughs> right. positive or, at the end of the day. Or as I read this morning, and I would love to take credit for this line, but I'm stealing it from Axios. The market made a Patrick Mahomes-like comeback. <laughs> Man, I. I don't think I talked to you. I know I didn't talk to you about that Chiefs Bills game on on Sunday. That was, or was that Saturday? That all blurred that together. That was Sunday. That was Sunday. Sunday. Man, that was wild. I I feel bad for those Bills fans. I feel horrible for those Bills fans, and especially yeah, they just are jinxed fan base. Yeah. Um, but that was great. I was like, my son said he like texted me, "Is this the greatest game? Was that the greatest game of all time?" I'm like, I think so. That might have been the greatest game of all. I mean, that's subjective, but boy, that was an amazing game. And the stock market was reacting the next day as if it were that game. Yeah, I wanted to try to pull off, you know, have 13 seconds left and get into field goal range for a 48-yard field goal and come out positive. Um, So putting this in some perspective here, and, you know, I'm always wary about statistics because you can massage data and statistics to show anything. But, you know, this one, it it is true. 
um, through the first. Now, this was this was middle of the day yesterday. So, you know, this is certainly a, a moving target here. But at that point, when Bloomberg produced this report, the S&P 500 had an 11 percent drop. And that was the first 16 days of the, the market year. That was the worst return in the first 16 days of the market ever in, in a year. Now, to me, that has a little bit of a feel like one of those Super Bowl prop bet type of things. Like, you know, they say, okay, well, that was the, you know, the longest punt in the second quarter by the AFC team that, you know, didn't win 11 games or more in the regular season. Right. Going, okay. <laughs> I guess that's right. Or the Chiefs are 73 and two when they're up by eight points going into the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. Um, now when I, I, I look at that one. I actually do look at that particular one as a, uh, let's, uh, somehow we're trying to get people to read this versus <laughs> something that really matters. The one yeah, that, you just said about the beginning of the year. So. That one about the Chiefs should be a no duh. Um, but it, it did make me think, you know, real quickly, I, I had this memory and, you know, gosh, all these years of uh, market returns sort of blur together, but it did sort of remind me, and I went back and looked, it was 2016 when we had the worst January returns, the worst January that you'd ever had. And I remember doing meetings with people and say, listen, uh, you know, January, that was the worst January of any stock market returns. And what, what happened in 2016? The S&P 500 was up 12% on the year. So that worst January didn't wind up meaning anything. And I I always think that it's useful when we go into, you know, maybe this is by the time you're listening to it, we're officially in a correction territory. You know, remember, corrections are officially a 10% off of the high. A bear market is going to be 20% or more off of the market high. Yeah, who knows? By the time you're listening to it, we could be in a bear market. I don't know. Uh, But I I think it's always helpful to go back and look at how common are these types of corrections, Um, correction being 10% or more. And it's roughly once a year, once every 13 months or so, we experience a correction. Mm -hmm. And last year, 2021, we didn't experience any sort of correction. We had, I think, the worst uh, decline was about five and a half percent. So you can certainly say, well, we're overdue for it. You know, not that that means anything, but, you know, we're sort of overdue for a correction. And then in terms of bear market, on average, that happens about once every three and a half years. Now, clearly, we all remember the last bear market, which is right when COVID hit, you know, just about two years ago now. Um, so, yeah, it'd be a little bit more frequent, you know, to have one happen now, but that's of course just an average. You know, I, I always point this out to people when we talk about averages, that means half the time people are doing better than the average and half the time you're doing worse than the average. Right. So yeah, bear market. I think, this cor- I think this correction is, I don't know about overdue, but let, let's just look at the reaction of our clients. No mm-hmm. reaction whatsoever so far, which I wouldn't Not expect. Yet. <laughs> 
I said, yet. So right. far, I believe is what I said. No reaction. We had a meeting yesterday. I mean, it didn't really come up. I mean, we brought it up, joking about yesterday with the client, but it didn't even come up, really. Well, um, you know, it wasn't. It's just I don't not, think. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I know. I know the clients who do watch the markets every day, like we do. But I don't think the vast majority of people do. You're doing your jobs and you know, living your life, and you're not sitting there watching these thousand point swings like we might be. Um, and I think that would be yeah, the case true. for the people yesterday. That's true. But even if you're looking at so this, things that come to my mind during this as. Personal disclosure, I feel like I'm a lot like our clients in the way I, you know, do my own personal, right. you know, investing and stuff like that. I'm a basically a 60-40 guy. Um, and anytime this stuff happens, I feel good about a couple things. I always feel good about my 40 part. That's not stocks, you know. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's not pure in the market. That just makes me feel better as a 60-40 guy. And on the growth side, because you know what? This might just be a correction that bounces back by the time you listen to this, or like you said, this might be a bear market or more serious things. And, you know, we can even discuss some of the things we've heard about more serious. Just But, but the bottom line is what always, I always come back to any moment when things are down and it comes to discussions with other advisors more than anything else, because you and I know there are basically two groups of advisors. There's the, there's the group like us, which I guess they would call passive, but mostly we want to be super well diversified in a bunch of ETFs and funds. And that way, statistically, we know where we're going with our clients long haul. And the other group is really they're sort of, they pick several companies or a bunch of companies, but nothing compared to the amount of companies our clients have. And they go with those, and they, you know, they get rid of some, they keep others, whatever they do. It, it's sort of a very high, intense, several company management of a portfolio. Right. And what this reminds me of is that I don't have the stomach. For, I don't have the stomach for saying, you know what? A year ago, a big part of my retirement plan, 50% will be Netflix is doing great, Peloton's doing great, and why not some crypto? So right. that, to me, is where I these times, at some point, I think I, I could speak for many of our clients, you're, you get it, what's going on. You understand that a correction, or even a bear market, might be healthy in the grand scheme of things. Right. Versus, I always look at that, and I'm not even saying what I just said well, could work out just fine in the long run. A bunch of individuals. To me, do you have the stomach for the type of drop you can get when your entire portfolio is is maybe thirty to fifty companies? Yeah. No. I mean, that's a a fundamental difference in philosophy there. Um, but I I did want to hit on Dave because you know we we haven't really talked about you know well why is the market going into a correction or a bear market or, you know whatever it might be going into. Let's just hit on some of the reasons. And I was going down that rabbit hole of going on Twitter yesterday. And I, I say rabbit hole because, you know, you can you can just dive into these terrible discussions and ah, you guys know how it is. But I, I was going down this rabbit hole of of looking at some of the reasons for the decline. 
And you know, some of the people on there, some of the pundits were just making fun of some of the the euphemisms and and just word salad things that, that people throw out there where they say, well, you know, there's some profit taking going on here in the market. And, uh, you know, some of the fundamentals, uh, they're just not supporting the current price levels. You know, they throw out these things that are just sort of meaningless. But in their defense, they've got to fill a whole lot of airtime. They don't, they can't choose when they do their podcast. They've got to talk about something every single day. Right. Um, but I, I think if you had to point to some of the real reasons, you would say, okay, the market's worried that the Federal Reserve is going to tighten, um, you know, raise interest rates, stop those bond purchases. Um, they're worried about inflation. Um, so how high will it get? How long will it go on for? Uh, and, you know, you could throw in there that the situation in the Ukraine, you know, that's certainly not helping stability um, just with all that uncertainty there. You know, you combine that with the fact that the stock market is up since those pandemic lows, you know, roughly 100 percent there. And especially for some of those growth oriented stocks, those price to earnings ratios are very, to put it mildly, very stretched. And just quick refresher on price to earnings ratio. You know, if a company has a dollar of earnings, what are you willing to pay for the stock? Well, if it's a lower growth company, yeah, maybe you'd pay 10 to 15 times the earnings. If it's a higher growth company, you might be willing to pay 20 to 30 times the earnings. And in some of these companies that either don't have any earnings yet or, you know, super high growth potential, you know, you might be willing to pay 80 or 100 times earnings. So those P.E. ratios are, are certainly stretched. That's that's not anything new there. Um, so those are all kind of the fundamental reasons. But, Dave, I wanted to talk about that article that I sent you. There's been a lot of talk about this, the Jeremy Grantham thing. Right. Who is Jeremy Grantham? I mean, I read him. I see his name. But yeah. what is his background? You know, I, I don't know his background in detail. He's he's an asset manager with GMO assets or a, a mutual fund company that's out there. And, and, you know, he's, like I said, I don't know a lot about his background, but just the, the brief, what I looked at, he's a pretty well-respected investor who's been around for a long time. And at least in the materials produced by GMO, his company, they claim that he called the uh, the tech bubble and the, the financial crash before it happened. Now, We've talked about this, about pundits going out there and calling crashes. And first of all, some people's definition, and I'm not saying this is the case with him. I, I really did not look in detail of what his call was. But some of these pundits, you know, in 2007, if they make a comment, they say, well, the housing market's getting pretty overheated. If it goes down, that could really hurt the economy. You know, okay, did you call the market? Right. I don't know. You made That's a comment. Not quite the same. Not right. Not Turned out to be true. Um, you know, then there are some of these pundits that go out there and, you know, every single day they scream that it's raining. And then once in a while, they're right. You know, it's, it's well, I, I kind of messed up the analogy there. It's supposed to be the weatherman that goes out and says, I know, I know what you yeah, meant. You, you got it. 
Um, so Jeremy Grantham came out and he had this, uh, he had this report that he put together and he, he published charts showing the 1929, uh, you know, market crash. He showed the Japanese asset and stock market bubbles in 1987 and he showed the tech bubble and the financial crisis. And he really compared all of those to the current asset prices. And, you know, on the surface, it was pretty shocking and pretty jarring to say, oh, my gosh, you know, we're in this situation where, you know, 1929, Japan, 1987, tech bubble, financial crisis. I mean, that is not company you want to be in, because if that's true, you're talking asset corrections of 50 percent. And. Initially, I looked at that and I was, wow, this is, this is pretty strong. Um, but then as I dug into it deeper, he shows all these charts and he puts the current situation, but there's not a whole lot of detail in terms of why that's going to happen. And really, you could take any chart that shows asset prices going up, overlay that with stock prices pre-1929 and say, hey, look at this. Asset prices went up in both circumstances. But it's not <laughs> – the fundamentals just aren't the same. You see what yeah, I'm saying? I, you, you could. I see what you're saying. I think you need I – don't, I don't know. Um, P-E ratios are not going to be enough to make that happen. When, when right. Things that happen – like I'm losing faith in, in my monetary system in general, which would be 2008, right. that could make something like that happen. What we'd had in March 2020, yep. this new thing, which I don't know if life will ever be the same or if I'm even going to be able to leave the house without leaving it in a hazmat suit, Yep, that would be something like that. What's this? The Fed's raising interest rates? Okay. The Ukraine thing? Oh, all right. Um and in general, to me, to be more specific as to why I don't feel that's going to happen, we're in an environment where unless you have those huge events of a huge loss of confidence, you have a lot of mechanisms in the, these markets. Look at the uh, – this isn't the same. This is a weird analogy. But look at the GameStop stuff, that whole routine where people are just, ooh, I'm just buying because we're, we're going to get momentum going. Not on that crazy level. You have a lot of people who will see a bottom and, and they're going to attack. Right. And they're, yeah. so in other words, this doom and gloom, you, you can't, the, the human brain emotionally run into a stop point. Like this will never stop. Like session, like to a certain extent, COVID in March 2020. So you have a bunch of you have a bunch of people say, "Oh, this is the bottom. I'm going to start to you know, I, this is an opportunity." Right now, yesterday was an opportunity. The Patrick Mahomes comeback, they're calling it, that we're stealing from Axios. <laughs> that right there was, "Ooh, this is a bottom. This is an opportunity." So well, I feel like there's nothing that's that's eliminating that feel of an opportunity to lead to that type of. Uh, that's my own feeling on that. Yeah, and and just reading his uh, Grantham's piece, it, it made me go back and dust off this this one that I'd looked at in the past, and you know, this is one that, that we've heard brought up to us by you know clients from time to time, 
And these are some of these predictions from an investor called Jim Rogers. And, you know, Jim Rogers it was famous. Uh, he started a hedge fund with George Soros back in the 1970s, you know, and they, they scored 4,000% return when the market only returned, you know, 47%. You know, so these are all the bona fides that are, are listed there to say, wow, look what a smart guy this guy is. Um, so I went back and I dusted off this this list of some headlines that legendary investor Jim Rogers is predicting. And of course, he's also currently predicting something. Um, 2011, 100% chance of crisis, worse than 2008. 2012, it's going to get really bad after the next election. 2013, you better run for the hills. 2014, sell everything and run for your lives. 2015, we're overdue for a market crash. 2016, 68 trillion biblical crash dead ahead. Um, 2017, worst crash in our lifetime. Um, and then I, I just Googled it to see some current things. Here in August, he says, uh, oh, once again, next bear market will be the worst in my lifetime. So, you know, there's a, another example of somebody who, man, they made a lot of money. They did really well. So should we listen to every single thing that they say? You know, maybe not. Maybe his crystal ball is no better than anybody else's. And, um, you know, and we shouldn't put a whole lot of faith in that. So what can we do? <laughs> We've talked an awful lot about, you know, not listening to these guys and how they, they can't predict the future. Right. Um, you know, let's go back to some of our fundamentals. You know, the most important thing and the thing that you can control is what is your time horizon? You know, when will you need this money? And what what are you invested in? Do you have safe assets? You know, safe assets are things that you could you could sell and get to that are not in the stock market if you needed to fund your expenses for the next couple of years. So, you know, we always want to take that exercise of let's play out not just a market correction, not just a bear market, a market crash, you know, where it could take five or six years to get back to the pre-crash levels. Do we have enough money in pensions, in annuities, in bonds, in cash, in things like that to help us ride it out? Um, And I mean, our, our clients hopefully know that they they should have those and they do have those right well that's uh, why we build all our plans starting that's the foundation of our plan right because that's not only is that tangibly and the right way to go it's also emotionally the right way to go right um you know the next thing i wrote down here was you know the reason for the decline i don't want to say it doesn't matter but you know, I've said this many times before, those ma- most dangerous words in investing are this time is different. Um, and I've often said that, you know, I wish I, I kept all of these emails and reasons from people going back over the last 20 years where they've said, uh, you know, Steve, I understand what you're saying about long-term markets, but listen, we've never been in a situation like this. You know, this time is different. And right. the market you know, eventually recovers and, and it's not, I mean, it's different, but it's similar. Um, right. We heard and, it, uh, this time is different recently. I forgot when, maybe I, it was a couple weeks ago. And yeah. I, 
you can't help but to think it is different than the Great Recession, and it is different than the COVID just starting. It's different in that it's not nearly as bad as that. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, we just we That's we have reiterate. to reiterate that is. You know, I, I want to reiterate your point. That right. is a very dangerous way of thinking because a it's always different. And B, if that's leading you to sell your stocks when you're low, stop thinking that way. Right. And that's, I mean, that that is one of the fundamental things that times like this sort of reiterate or reteach us this lesson, that you do not get gains like we've seen the past couple of years without experiencing losses. You don't, that just, this is not how it works. You don't get to rack up. <laughs> You know, 18% and 28% gains, you know, boom, boom, 2020, 2021, without having losses like this. You know, this is the price that we're paying. Otherwise, you know, we can sit in bonds or we can sit in cash and earn nothing or next to nothing and not experience this volatility. Um, right. But if it, going, it always comes back to, yeah, it comes back to honest with yourself with your port with the money that you're not going to have in stocks like what it's not fun to have i mean i will certainly tell you that i'll have times when i'll look at them as the market was booming it's like "Mm, i'm doing great i guess if i had more in stocks i could be doing better but then i'm you know but when things aren't doing so well i am very comfortable you know with my 40 percent of my portfolio personally not in and then, hey, we have plenty of clients and people we know who are all in, and they're sure. always comfortable with it. We have a lot of people who are almost all in or mostly all in, and right. for various reasons, and a lot that makes sense, like big pensions and other stuff where they don't have to worry about the income piece as much. They're fine. These clients are fine when the market's going down. Yeah. I've noticed that, that I, I give them, you know, they have a very, they're very in tune um, to their risk, their risk tolerance. So there's nothing right. wrong with that, but be in tune with your own risk tolerance. Yep. Um, <laughs> let me finish up here just with one thing, one thought on on some action that we've been taking for clients, but you know you might want to take some of this action on your own. Um, a, a technique that we've talked about many times in the past, but um, times when when the market goes down, that's really when it's useful. Um, something called tax loss harvesting. And, you know, what tax loss harvesting means is, you know, let's say we had a client, uh, you know, late December, early January, they came into some money, took some money in a taxable account, so this is not an IRA, and invested that money in stocks. So they, they said, okay, this is going to be long-term money. I don't need to touch this. Let me put my $100,000 in stocks right now. And, of course, depending on what type of stocks they're in, Right now, they might be down about $10,000, you know, gone from $100,000 down to $90,000. Now, this person is a long-term investor. They don't want to sell and get out because they're smart, and they know that over the long term, that's that's a mistake. You know, they, they can't time the market. But what you are allowed to do is you are allowed to shift from one, for example, for one large-cap U.S based mutual fund to another large cap U.S. based mutual fund. Not the exact same fund, but a a similar one. You know, they might hold a lot of the same stocks. Now, if we did that in this example, on paper, you just lost $10,000, but you stayed invested. 
So whenever the market recovers, whether that's you know later today or tomorrow or next year or five years from now, you'll get to participate in that recovery. Why would we yeah, do this? Well, go ahead, Dave. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost you for a second. I was oh. going to say <clears throat> this is my favorite thing, and this is for the new audience because I've said this before. Look at all the tax loss harvesting. First of all, it sounds great. This is the thing you talk to your friends about for so many reasons. A, and if we have a down market, this is going to be the highlight for you. This is the glass half full. Right. A, it sounds great. Hey, are you doing? Hey, Fred, are you? What are you doing? I, I've been doing some tax loss harvesting. Fred's like, what? What's that? So it sounds great. Tax loss harvesting. I love it. Whoever thought of that name? Yep. B, it's a win-win. Yeah. I'm getting a similar investment down. And for the tax reasons Steve just stated, and now I'm in the, a similar thing as it goes up. I've yeah, well, let me savings, and I haven't given it. Go ahead, and I'll finish my point. Well, I was going to say, let me explain why it's a win-win because now come tax time next year, when hopefully at that point market's positive and you've kind of forgotten, you go, oh, geez, remember the beginning of January 2022? We had some losses there. I totally forgot about that. You get your 1099, it shows that $10,000 in losses. What can you do with that? You can use that to offset other gains. Right? So if you've got other gains in your portfolio, you can offset those. Don't have to pay taxes on those gains now. Um, if you don't have other gains to offset, you can use $3,000 against ordinary income. Hey, that's great. That's less taxes you're paying. And if you still have losses left over, you can carry them forward into the future. So now you're carrying forward these losses into the future. And if you've got gains next year, you can use it. Or if you've got income next year, you can use it. I mean, it it really is that, that silver lining when the market goes down. Yeah. So you're talking to Fred. You just explained these things. You've talked about tax loss harvesting. And Fred is like, not doesn't feel good. So you're basically, you're, knowledge, which is always fun a little bit. You've taken advantage of this, which is great. Your friend isn't feeling, you don't want your friend to feel bad, but let's face it. You just, <laughs> you just put yourself in the cocktail party. You still there, Dave? Yeah. Did oh, you lose sorry. <laughs> I did for half a second there. Uh, you were flaunting knowledge at the cocktail party to your friend Fred. Yes, it's just a win-win in so many ways. Yeah. So, and, and there's only so many times you can take advantage of it. Things have to be down, and we haven't had a lot of tax loss harvesting opportunity, let's face it. Yeah. No, I mean, if everything goes up, there's no chance to do it. So, if you're an existing client, don't worry. We did it. Um, we ran, you know, yesterday, we ran spreadsheets that, that basically showed anybody who had any any losses really at all and uh, and went through made a bunch of trades. Um, so if you see some of those transactions and you're thinking, gosh, I thought we were buy and hold investors. Why are we doing this? We're not getting out. We're simply harvesting those losses. And I should say, if things keep going down, not not that I'm rooting for it, but if things keep going down, we might do it again. <laughs> so you might see more transactions there. Um, but once again, we're staying invested. We are not bailing out there. 
I want to throw, I mean, I'll have you explain it, but I want to throw one other thing out. This is like a bonus episode. Like whoever's still listening is really still involved and stuff. <laughs> but what a, and this is, you know, you do this for our clients. Rebalancing. It sounds like you're, it sounds like the thing that they throw in. I just took my car, my Honda for a checkup with my friends at Joe's Automotive in Rockville. Yep. So basically, cause I know that they tell the truth and they, yeah, they rebalance the tires as part of the deal. I don't know how much that costs. <laughs> $25. That's what, hey, do you do rebalance? Rebalancing sounds like something that is so nothing, but what right. are, talk about rebalancing well, and what's been going on. Yeah, and I mean, rebalancing is that, that basic process that any portfolio manager or even individual investor should be doing. Um, so the basic idea is, let's say you're 60-40, um, 60-40 investor, and you went through 2021, stocks are up quite a bit, depending on what type of stocks you're in. Let's say stocks are up 20%, and bonds are essentially flat throughout the year. Well, if you did nothing, all of a sudden your 60-40 portfolio is going to be out of whack. You know, your, your 60% in stocks is going to probably be more like, you know, 65, 66% in stocks, and you're not going to have good balance there. So, you know, that, that's something that we do periodically, um, but we did towards the beginning of this year, early in January, to say, okay, stocks are way up. Let's rebalance and bring ourselves back into target there. And it's times like these where we say, yep, that's precisely why we do it. And I will say that if the market were to go on correcting and say even go into a bear market or crash scenario, then we'd be rebalancing in the other direction where we'd be saying, gosh, stocks are down 30%. Well, we're going to take some of those bonds and buy stocks now. Um, and that's, like I said, something any investor should be doing. And you're right. It does sound, yeah, sure, you know, rotate my tires, rebalance the portfolio. Um, but it's, it's a really important thing to make sure your portfolio stays in line with your risk tolerance. Yeah. But in this, even in this one little podcast, we've touched on a whole bunch of things that investors should, like you see saying investors should be doing. Well, let's face it, a lot of investors don't know about this. <laughs> They're not thinking about it, but it is something good advisors should be doing. It's interesting that how good, in my opinion, how good advisors earn their fee is when times aren't good. Right. Not oh, just totally. when times are good. Yeah. All right, let's end it there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. We will hopefully just be back on a regular schedule. Hopefully we won't have to do a I don't want to say emergency, but <laughs> if we have to do another one before our regular schedule, that one will be deemed an emergency pod, which we're hoping right. we don't need to do, right? <laughs> All right. Take care. Be safe.